Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode 23 of Old Sport Podcast. It's a season of change in the sporting world. The soccer season ends, the cricket season begins, and the AFL keeps on rolling on. On top of that, we've got tennis, cycling, basketball, and much, much more to keep your hearts and minds filled during the icy polar blast that is the start of winter. I'm Hamish Stewart. He's Ben Rosen, and he's also Hugo Carson. Hugo, the Heat and Blues both lost on the weekend, but the big one is tomorrow. How are you feeling ahead of the social netball grand final? And on a separate note, how good is Top Gun? Yeah, not the best weekend of sport personally, um, but very keen for the game tomorrow. Lots on the line. Um, Go in as the number one seed against the second side. So who knows what will happen. Also predicted to be absolutely pissing down um, with rain and we play outside. So I'm not too sure how how that's going to be going. Um, And then top will be rained out. Apparently only with lightning. Okay. So. (laughs) Seems legit. Yeah. Um, A lot of casual physicality once again on the netball court. (laughs) Um, and then with Top Gun, I mean, it's just great. If you haven't seen it yet, do yourself a favor, um, especially if you like the first one. Um, it's a very, very good movie on its own. And as a sequel, it does just enough to pay homage to the first film and then also make a bit of fun of itself as well without going too far. It's, it's really quite good. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Um, ben, do you want to <laughs> dive us into some AFL results? Yeah, before we get sidetracked with any topless volleyball conversations, that's some real <laughs> casual physicality for you. Um, AFL, another good week. That's round 11 in the books. We're well and truly into this season. Um, started off with a few high-scoring affairs. Friday night, we had the Swans by six points over the Tigers in quite a controversial clash up at the uh, SCG. Then on Saturday, we had the Lions beating the Giants at home. Cats doing it easily over the Crows in Geelong. The upset of the round was Freo beating Melbourne in their one and only game at the MCG, really stamping their mark on the competition. Western Bulldogs comfortably beating the Eagles by 101 points. Gold Coast Suns demolishing the Hawks as well, which was a surprise to many. Saints very comfortably over North. Collingwood by four points in a heart stopper at the G on Sunday and finishing off the round. It was Essendon with an honourable gallant loss to the mighty Port Adelaide power, um, leaving the, the poor Bombers to lick their wounds. Once again, I'll rattle through. A few more sports. It was a a big week in my domain. We had the golf Sam Burns winning a playoff yesterday morning against Scotty Scheffler, the informed golfer across the world, really, at the Charles Schwab Challenge. And then over on the DP Tour, the old European Tour, I don't report on this one much, but I watched it, and it's actually worth watching if you have half an interest in golf. Victor Perez won a playoff over uh, New Zealand's Ryan Fox to win the Dutch Open. It was a playoff that ended up going for four holes. Um, on the first playoff hole, Perez hold a 20-footer to stay alive. On the second playoff hole, he hold a 10-footer to stay alive. On the third playoff hole, he hold a 30-footer to stay alive. And on the fourth playoff hole, he hold a 40-footer to win. And this poor wow. Ryan Fox has played... He played the four playoff holes in, I think, two under. Literally did not miss a shot. Was just a shoe in to win. 
until he did it. And the look on the poor bloke's face when he was shaking his hand was like, what has just happened there? Anyway, as I said, worth watching. They put up a good clip on Facebook. It's the DP World Tour, if anyone's interested. Um, we've also got news from the LIV, the Saudi-backed world new world golf tour that's been headed up by Greg Norman. They were scheduled to announce their first filled, sorry, full-filled event this week. Um uh, but they didn't. No one really knows why, but the obvious suspicion is that they didn't get enough players or they didn't sign anyone of note. So that start has once again been delayed. I've just got a question here that's somewhat rhetorical, but what on earth is Greg Norman doing? I really don't understand. He's tarnishing his legacy completely with all this. And then we've got the tennis second major championship. We've got the French Open. Uh, big story coming up immediately is that Novak's going to play Nadal in the quarterfinal, which will be a lot of fun for tennis viewers. Uh, as we woke up this morning, Australian time, Tuesday morning, I saw that Daniel Medvedev and Tsitsipas were both out in the fourth round. So upsets there, but young guns to look out for that are still in the tournament. Obviously, we've got Zverev and Alcaraz. And on the ladies' draw, the real question is if anyone could beat I.S. Wozniak. Uh, the Polish player who won her first Grand Slam title at Roland Garros in 2020 is the heavy favourite for this major. Her win in the fourth round uh, notched up her uh, win streak to 32 consecutive matches. So she looks unbeatable now. Turning 21 tomorrow, and she's going to celebrate her 21st birthday in style watching Nadal Djokovic quarterfinal. So she's living her best life. What about the uh Hang the on, side? Oh, yes. Sorry. Um, I just wanted to to answer the little question you stuck in there. Can anyone beat Argus Fartek? And I think there is someone who can, but unfortunately she retired a couple of months ago. <laughs> yeah, so, no, I think I think um, you're I think you're spot on. Yeah, a little bit of little bit of legacy there for Svartek. I'm sure is very happy to not have to face Ash Barty um, or Osaka, who's not currently in the competition anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, Hugo. Yeah. So in the NBA earlier in the week, we had the the Warriors defeat the Mavericks in game five to claim the Western Conference Finals. That was a gentleman's sweep 4-1. In the East, the Boston Celtics overcame a gritty Miami Heat who forced a game seven at home, only to struggle all game. And despite pulling it right back at the end, lost the game and ended their season. So the Celtics now face Golden State um, in the NBA Finals, which is very exciting. In the ice hockey, yes, old sport is covering ice hockey for the first time. There we time. go. <laughs> we have the conference finals this week. The Colorado Avalanche face the Edmonton Oilers and the New York Rangers face the reigning champions, Tampa Bay Lightning. In the F1, we had an exciting rain-affected Monaco Grand Prix on the weekend. One of the, we- the biggest weekends in the F1 calendar was actually an exciting race for, for once uh, with the rain and the drying track causing some pit drama and pit tactics resulting in a win for Sergio Perez and Red Bull. Perez claimed the win over Carlos Sainz and teammate Mac and Red Bull teammate Max Verstappen, whilst local hero and champion contender once again missed out in Monte Carlo after a mix up, um, mixed up double pit stop resulted in him finishing outside the podium places in fourth. George Russell once again proved himself Mr. Consistent, finishing fifth ahead of Lando Norris, Fernando Alonso, and teammate Lewis Hamilton. For Aussie, Daniel Ricciardo, he had another shocking weekend as he continues to struggle to come to grips with his McLaren car. He eventually finished 13th after qualifying in 14th. Hamish, how about the soccer? Huge clash on the weekend. Uh, I'm not talking about Champions League. I'm talking about championship football. 
Yeah, they had the world's richest game in football played over the weekend. And that, of course, was Nottingham Forest to join Fulham and Bournemouth back in the APL after their, their 1-0 win at Wembley Stadium over Huddersfield Town. Uh, the other reasonably large game to happen on the weekend was, of course, the Champions League final. And Real Madrid got it done. They beat Liverpool 1-0 uh, in what was like a lot of Champions League finals, a little bit lackluster, quite a defensive game, but they're crowned Kings of Europe for the 14th time. We've got plenty more to come on that shortly. A little bit closer to home, and Western United claimed a remarkable men's A-League crown. They beat minor premiers Melbourne City 2-0. There's now been calls for John Aloisi to become the national head coach of the men's side, given the struggles the Socceroos have faced. It's pretty remarkable for Western United, just a couple of years into their existence to take it up. Um, and beat both their major rivals, Victory and City, to go on and, and claim the title. Over in Japan, and we don't cover uh, the J-Leg a whole lot, but it's worth mentioning this week with Kevin Muscat's Japanese side, Yokohama Mariners, in first position, whilst Andre Iniesta's side currently in, in last position. So a little one there for the, the Aussies. And now, of course, to the rugby world, and Penrith beat North Queensland 22-0 on the weekend, which is the major result. It was a big reality check for the Cowboys, who had been kind of the... Uh, the underdog story of the season so far and Penrith really just seemed to be a cut above everyone at the moment. In the other rugby code and in the union, Super Rugby Finals getting underway um, with three Aussie teams in the quarterfinals, despite none of them being at the top of the table, looking pretty strong on the New Zealand side of things um, for that competition. Ben, you had something you wanted to add on on the NRL? Uh, just just for the listeners to, to keep their eyes peeled, I understand that Origin is starting up. The, uh, the camps have been formed. Saw that on the news today. So that's just finger on the pulse with me in the, uh, in the NRL world. Just thought I'd bring that to everyone's attention. Yeah. And there's a few good videos going around of players getting like announced or told that they're going to be on the teams. Um, so if you want to see some big burly men reacting happily, you can go check them out. Um, finally, in, in the cricket world, um, the only real results over the weekend was the IPL final and Gujarat Titans uh, beat Rajasthan Royals in the final. Um, winners in their very first season in the competition. They had 100,000 people in the stadium in Ahmedabad, I'm told. It's not Ahmedabad, it's Ahmedabad is the correct pronunciation in the Namendra Modi Stadium. Um, nowhere else could it be fitting. That's the Titans' home ground. It, it was still pretty much in the grips of COVID, um, the IPL this year. So most of the, the time there were restricted crowds, but they managed to fill this one out. And very excited for the Titans. Matty Wade was the sole Australian in that side. Uh, he didn't contribute a whole lot in the final, but he got it done over the, the tournament, um, as did the likes of, of David Miller and, and Shubman Gill. All right, we've done a pretty good wrap there, boys. Ben, should we dive into the footy? Let's do it. I'm excited for this one. A couple of weeks ago, I was on the podcast lamenting the fact that football was forced to have a 24-hour news cycle. <laughs> but then every week we do this, I realize you can actually just talk about footy forever. Each week just brings up, <laughs> each week brings up its, it's a whole new buffet of, of storylines. It is trivial as some of them are. It is what gets us all through winter talking about it. So without anything more said on that, we may as well jump right in. The biggest story of the week, I think was Melbourne's loss to uh to Fremantle. I say in parentheses here that I should have said flag mantle. Um, how about the purple haze? Who wants this one? I'm happy to go if you'd like. Um, yeah, flag mantle. Here they come. It was um probably not an entirely unexpected loss for the D's, especially once Stephen May went down early in the first quarter. But at halftime, <laughs> pardon me, halftime in that con contest. 
it looks over. Frio had kicked two goals. Melbourne were just cruising to another really comfortable victory. And I think what we saw in the third quarter is why it's such a big story. It wasn't some gritty kind of wet win where it could have gone either way. Mate, the Dockers turned it on and completely obliterated them in, in the second half. And, you know, the 30,000 D supporters who rocked up got a little bit of a shock. I did see today the D's got 60,000 members for the first time. And I do understand it was 4.35 on a, on a Sunday on a pretty cold, miserable winter's day in Melbourne. Um, that'd be great to see a few more of them get to the ground for, <laughs> for these big clashes in the future. Just a little drive-by there. Thanks. Um, Thanks for yeah, it's, it's exciting for the competition, I think, because... Uh, this game lost a bit of its hype after the Dockers had a couple of losses in a row. Um, but the fact they've got Nat Fife coming back, who's not like, he's not God, you know, he's not going to come and completely change the world, especially after being out for so long. But like, if you think of what Frio needs to put the icing on the cake, it's a little bit more forward representation. It's a slightly bigger body to help Brayshaw and Sarong and Brody around the midfield. And he pretty much fits that bill perfectly. So with the home advantage, I'm really excited for this week's Frio Brisbane game on in the graveyard shift, which is something I'd never thought I'd say, um, but I will be sitting down to, to watch that contest. <laughs> Um, and, and Fife coming back through the waffle, I just read, which I think, I mean, I'm going to get into it later, so I don't want to give too much away, but that is, um, a very, a very, very big call. I agree with you. I think what we saw probably the biggest takeaway for me from Sunday's uh, Saturday's clash, sorry, was how reliant Melbourne is on May, perhaps more so than, than a lot of us realized, obviously they've got a very solid back six and leave as a star in his own right. But they they looked a completely different football side after May left the ground. And I think that a lot of opposition coaches will have taken note of that. And I'm not saying that you take him out of the game, but if, if you can nullify his involvement, then Melbourne, as I said, looked like a completely different team. Um, I'll throw to you now, Hugo, because there was some big story, some big storylines to come out of your Navy blue mob. Um, obviously a pretty disappointing loss, but there were some positive signs in what was just a, a great game between two old foes on a, a quintessential cold, rainy Melbourne Sunday. Um, what did you make of it? And then as a follow-up, what, where does Carlson go with their current injury crisis? Yeah. Um, I just want to add one thing on the Melbourne Fremantle game in that Sorry, third go ahead. quarter. No, no, no. All good. Um, I think, you know, losing May was big, but in the third quarter, I think there was 10 centre bounces. Um, Fremantle won nine of them and eight of them were attended by the the court group of Gorn, Petrarca, Oliver and Viney, and they, that group didn't win a single one. Um, so there's a lot more to that third quarter than I think just you know, Melbourne struggling without May and mm. maybe some issues that we might've seen um, in the past few weeks, but Melbourne's just too good for them to be, you know, losses or major issues, you know, maybe those cracks expanded and, and Fremantle found a way. Anyway. I think um, Petrarca was also on about one leg. He was apparently yeah. sick as a dog, which yeah. um, like he wasn't moving after stoppages and stuff. Um, but yeah, it was a good, good pickup. Yeah. Um, and then on Sunday, I mean, what, an atmosphere, 80,000 people on a Sunday afternoon at a game, you know, you could tell when you were there that they just didn't expect that many people to be there. Um, I think halfway through a message came that the kick on the field after the game has been cancelled because of weather conditions, even though it was sunny out, um, like just, they didn't want that many people on the field. Um, it was such a good atmosphere 
you know, Carlton lost, but to be there in that crowd once again, um, I think it was an even better atmosphere than the Carlton Richmond game at the start of the season. Um, it was just, you know, Carlton Collingwood, old foes, so many storylines, even in, you know, the bit of Biffo in the first, you know, um, I think it was the first clearance of the game. Um, and then losing Weedering. I was telling everyone that I would have rather lost that game than lose Jacob Weedering. I'd rather lose Patrick Cripps than Jacob Weedering, honestly. Um, it is a disaster for the club. Um, and the short, the tall, the tall player crisis at Carlton is, I don't know where you can go from here. You kind of just have to hold on for the next few weeks, maybe pick up a couple wins. We've got the bye this week, which is timed well. Um, and then I think it's it's Essendon and Richmond. So, you know, maybe get one of those. Big games. Um, yeah, big games. And who plays on who plays on two meter Peter and Tom Lynch? Like it, Lewis Young is literally it. It has to be Lewis Young. And then you expect Lockie Plowman to play bigger than he he should or can. Um does and then Silvani maybe, go back? There's talk about that, but we need him in the rock. Like yeah. and and then you know, you can't have deconing and Silvani both because they both need rest and Silvani needs to pinch hit in the ruck. I mean, Cripps has given up a Brownlow medal basically to help out the team. There's only so much you can do by playing next man up. Um, and I think this is just one too many for Carlton. So you can only do so much. Um, just to get your take on it, free kick in the final minutes. High contact. Sam Walsh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a free kick, but there's 50 of them a game. Um so you know surprisingly reasoned on this one i thought it was just a clear you get slapped across the face going yeah i agree Um, i saw it someone said i can't remember who but it was probably a good pick up i think it was eddie betts after the game that sandwich was was almost sort of too tough and ball focused yeah i think if that luke shuey and that elimination final got similar contact and just (laughs) did the frosby flop um you can sell it a bit better obviously not not preaching that afl players should be doing that but some coaches might yeah, I mean, it's 100% it's a free kick, but, you know, it is what it is. Zach Fisher kicks a goal a few minutes earlier. We win the game. Um, Silvani's, you know, that's just a 50-50 chance, a few mm. metres. But, I mean, we didn't deserve the game. It would um, have been so yeah. funny if you won. Because <laughs> they, they were doing the Collingwood chant. With two they goals, were, and then we kicked and, two in a row. And then we did two goals in two minutes. And I, I was, was at the um, wetting myself. I went to the Geelong Collingwood game early in the year. They were doing it three-quarter time. They were that oh, confident. The and then best. the Cats piled on nine goals in the last that's, quarter. And then there they're, is all, nothing they're all leaving. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry, Collingwood cool. fans. All right. Well, while we're on the, the topic of, of umpiring, big one on Friday night. I'm going to get my two cents out of the way on this because I think it's a really interesting discussion. I don't really know where I stand. That's obviously the non 50 meter decision after the siren for anyone that didn't see it. um, There was a a free kick paid Um, Sydney player kicks the ball into the crowd after the free kicks paid, but in all likelihood didn't hear that a free kick had been played because of the crowd and because of the siren Um, should it have been 50 meter penalty. The arguments I've heard, um, probably the most persuasive one is that that's brought in as a time-wasting um, sort of toward against time-wasting. You don't want players kicking it away. And because the clock had stopped, there's no real utility to a, a prohibition against time-wasting. So I sort of understand why it wouldn't be paid for that reason. But also 
if it had happened at any other stage in the game, it would have been paid. It is a 50 meter penalty. How did you guys see it? Um, I think there's so many layers to this. So firstly, the original high decision wasn't paid by the uh, controlling umpire. It was by, paid by the off, the off umpire. So there's no way that Warner would have heard that whistle. It was about a hundred um, meters away. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that you can rule that out. Um, and you can tell by his reaction, he had no idea what was going on. The interesting thing is though, the controlling umpire who was like, had his hand on his ear, he paid 50 and you can see Jaden short walking away, like clapping his hands. And then he gets overruled by Matt Stevick, who tells him, no, that's not 50. That's like common sense, not 50. And so then he like changes his mind. He's like, no, no, no 50. So that was interesting that there was like a hierarchy of umpires who ruled it. Now for me, it's just a straight up 50 according to the rules of the game, because in the rule book, it says if a player boots the ball away after a free kick, it's 50 meters. Uh, It doesn't really matter like what the context is. That's like, that's the rule. And I understand the time wasting point, but having said that, like, even after the siren goes, you can like kick the ball away and get players like flood back onto the line or whatever. Um, obviously not really doesn't necessarily apply here, but I don't think you can legislate in the rule book for every single instance. So like if this happens on the <laughs> wing with the non-controlling umpire and the player kicks it into the crowd, no, but that's where common sense crowd. comes in. But I think maybe, but I also think you just got to follow the, the rules. Mm. Um, and if the rule says it's like, where do you draw the line at overruling the rules based on common sense? That's, I, I understand the argument for common sense umpiring. Um, but I think if you've got, if the rules are clearly defined just as a principle, I think it works better if they stick to them. Um, yeah, I can completely, I think the common sense thing to do was not to pay 50. I don't understand people saying the common sense was the other way, but I do think it was, well, I mean, according to the rules, it was a 50 meter penalty. Yeah, so. Sort of no argument against that. Yeah. We'll see. Jared Whiteley is one who's been very vocal on this, that the rules state it can't be 50 because there's no, he's not wasting time. Like, but the, the rule doesn't, when it, how it's written doesn't imply, like doesn't capture the time wasting element. I think it does. Really? Yeah, I think so. I thought the rule just said if a player kicks the ball away after a free kick, it's 50. No, I think it, uh, I could See, be because I think that, well, the thing after a free kick's paid like that, is, isn't the clock stopped? Yeah, yeah that's, that's also, the other like, thing as well. It's also just like um, play, players running back and defending, like that kind of time wasting, yeah. not necessarily just. Yeah. Um, it always seems to happen in Sydney, though, doesn't it? Hamish, how the, yeah. the flashbacks to the Oh, I had massive flashbacks to the <laughs> Rampy incident. Um, <laughs> it always happens with Sydney as well. The Courtney Dempsey supposedly playing on. Like, they just, they, they seem to get these ones <laughs> around the, the siren. Um, look, to be perfectly honest, Richmond had absolutely everything go their way for three years. So they can probably cop <laughs> one decision not going, not going their way. I agree. Um, Imagine if every I, single high fend off had been paid against Dusty. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Also, like these talk, like it would have like changed the result. Presty was on the wing. He wasn't at yeah. fifty meters. It wasn't wasn't going to be an easy kick after the side. And for a draw. For a draw. <laughs> for a draw. Exactly. So anyway, I th- I'd use it such a fascinating one because probably not one that will ever happen again. No. You know? So you can just you can knock it to death now because exactly. it's never going to come up again. All right, we'll go rapid fire through the following ones. Um, go to you on this one, Hugo. West Coast. What is going on with that football club? Are they actually this bad, or is yeah. it true what people are saying that they're not trying? 
Oh, I honestly, like, it's awful. Like, apparently they have the worst percentage at this stage through a season. The only side to have a worse percentage is Fitzroy the year before they folded. Mm. When Portentious. Yeah, they genuinely just gave up. And this is one of the richest clubs in the AFL. So not quite the same circumstances. Um, yeah, I read, sorry, just while you're on that, with their wealth, that there's still a wait list to sponsor West Coast. Yeah. Where <laughs> there are clubs out there that can't get sponsorship deals for love nor money. And West Coast, you you have to go on a wait list just to throw money at them. And this is a team that's got a percentage of about four. It's just <laughs> outrageous. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Um, Hamish, do you think they've given up on the season and won draft picks or like what? I think they go out there to to win. I don't I don't think players don't try, um, but I don't think that means they can turn it around. The interesting one was over the last nine weeks since they beat Collingwood, their percentage is below 40. And the only other time that's happened was in St Kilda's first six years in the competition in the 1800s. Um, <laughs> like that is how bad they're going. The bigger question surely is how did they beat Collingwood? Like what yeah. happened there? In Melbourne, right? In Melbourne. Yeah. yeah. Bizarre. Bizarre. And yeah, it's the manner of the losses. Like these hundred point losses consistently. It, it haven't seen it before. It's quite funny because I watched North on the weekend, and North are terrible. Where you can't yeah. deny that they're having a crack. Yeah, like they they're, they're an awfully drilled football team. But <laughs> <laughs> they're all trying really. They hard. can't kick. Yeah, that's right. Um, all right, Hamish text going to the Suns. He obviously came out and and said that he wants a deal from the Crows, but there's nothing on the table. Uh, and Gold Coast are, are in the market, it seems like. Yeah, I think he stays. I just like don't understand from the Crows' perspective. It's not like they've got all these young key forwards lining up. I mean, I know they've got Phil Thorpe and these guys like Himmelberg and stuff and Gallant, but um, at the end of the day, Texas won them three games this year. If he wants an extra couple of years, I don't see why you don't keep him around. It's not like they're push for salary cap space. They've not exactly got a huge amount of stars. Um, for the Suns, though, it'd be good, good pickup, I would have thought. Like oh, yeah. partnering techs up there just to like help guide them as Casbolt probably doesn't get in the team next year with Ben King returning. Um, just to provide like a Tex King Chole forward line be pretty dangerous as they just, because they'll be hunting finals next year. I was going there a word on the Suns. I think they're hunting finals this year. They've got yeah. one of the easiest draws coming home and they're playing seriously good football. I reckon there, every chance. <laughs> All right, still to you on this one, Hamish, because who else could tackle it? Essendon have embarked on a full-scale review, although I, I read that they're not looking at moving around personnel, which is a strange thing to do with a, a full-scale review. I think it's just sort of corporate weasel words. I'm sure that if the review finds heads have to roll, then heads will indeed roll. What do you make of this for the the red and the black? So for those who aren't across it, um, Paul Brasher, the president, came out and he said it's going to be incremental rather than transformational right, the, the findings of the review this is the second <laughs> full-scale review in less than two years at the club since he took over it's been conducted by the same three people sean wellman simon madden and kevin sheedy who did the last one all essendon people are with connections and vested interests within the club it's not exactly an independent body coming in to review the operations um my interest is reviews go two ways if they're done if they're proper reviews which i mean you hope it is even if it's if it's just weasel words they either go the way of like nathan buckley in mid 2017 coaching grand final next year 
um, Brett Ratton last year. Saints had a full-scale review at a similar time in a similar situation, to be fair. And look, he's obviously in a great position now. Or they go the David Teague train and they just realize, hey, like this is just defunct. Um, we should be, we're underachieving here. I'm not sure I see this ending well for Ben Rutten, to be honest. Like the fact they're conducting it, um, it just doesn't bode too well for me, especially with the specter of Buckley, Clarkson, Lyon, all just hanging around the competition at the moment. So watch this space. Mm. Yeah, it's a serious spectre. It's a shadow that looms large for these clubs that are, are underperforming, I think. And if you were a coach that is in that basket, you'd certainly be cognizant of it. A couple for you to finish off, Hugo. Um, mid-season draft coming up. I'll get your thoughts on that. And obviously your, your Brownlow pick has now roared in for, into favoritism as, as Cripps has probably come off the boil a bit. Yeah, so mid-season draft is Wednesday evening, so might have already happened by the time uh, this episode comes out. I don't think there's too much hype around it. There's no giant become wandering around the VFL anymore. Um, but there's a few players who could be key. Um, you know, I'm completely unbiased here. Carlton need a, <laughs> a tall defender, probably. Um, there's talk about Sam Durden, um, but you know, other sides could pick him up as well. North also just freed up another spot um, in their side as the, um, Tom Lynch. Tom Lynch retired. Um, who's he was basically a, a playing coach without playing. Playing so, <laughs> coach. <laughs> um, so I think that's probably the right decision from North there. Um, why not <laughs> the um the interesting one on in the mid-season draft is how you go about it because for like north and west coast they reckon jai cully uh who runs around in the, the vfl at the moment is the confirmed number one pick like a weapon who's come on as a weapon this year after being overlooked last year in the draft development player though so that's the type that west coast and north take on uh, i mean west uh, north picked up um Jacob Edwards last year, like with no intent, he was still at school. I knew he wasn't going to play for a couple of years. Whereas I think for Carlton and for like Melbourne, um, Frio, these these guys, this team, sorry, that are trying to fill specific list spots, that's where it gets really interesting and and targeting these ex-AFL players, these mature age guys, rather than a, a project player, um, the likes of a giant Newcomb. Can they find someone who can come in and, and make an impact like that? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it could play a huge role in finals footy. I mean, even Carlton could miss the eight with this current injury list, honestly. Um, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so we'll see. And as for the Brownlow, yeah, Lockie Neal, I reckon, has firmed his favourite right now. Paddy Cripps plays half his time in the ruck, so um, can't see him getting too many votes for a, for a few rounds. Um, although with... Umpiring with umpire votes, he still kicks goals um, as a midfielder. So could sneak a few and then his, his start. I bet, Ben, you're not, you know, completely, um, haven't completely lost there, but we'll see. Should we move on, boys? Done enough AFL for one week, maybe. <laughs> um, Hamish, Champions League, biggest game of the year. Um, what about Tebow? It's all about Tebow, isn't it? Put respect on my name, as he said to the media <laughs> after the, the victory. Yeah, he was player of the match. Um, 
always disappointing for the losing team when the, the opposition goalkeeper wins player of the match usually means you're probably a little bit stiff. Um, to be fair, he made, well, one amazing save off Sadio Mane. That was incredible. Um, the other saves, probably expect him to make. Made a lot of them. Um, I think just the best goalkeepers in the world make, make those ones. Um, and to be honest, for those who watched the game, it was Liverpool pretty much just controlled the match for probably 70 minutes and Real Madrid managed to really get their, their feet on the ball, so to speak, for 20 minutes to start of the second half. They created the two best chances in the game. They scored from one. They had a goal disallowed from the other. And Liverpool just couldn't quite create those same chances. It's hard when you've got literally two banks of five just sitting in front of you and so well drilled as, as Madrid are and so used to winning as well. Um, so a disappointing end for, for Liverpool. And yeah, Hugo, I saw your, your tweet talking about Liverpool running on fumes and I couldn't agree more. They just looked shot by the end. You know, it's been such a long season. They played um, 63 games, which is the maximum um, they could possibly play at the start. Now, I don't know if either of you caught what happened before the game. I got up at 4.30 and wrote off the next two days for this match, but I was forced to wait. Um, 46 minute delay due to what was happening outside of the stadium. Have you guys seen anything like it before? Have you ever heard of 15,000 fans trying to trying to get into the game without a ticket and fans who paid 30 plus thousand pounds not being getting in and pepper sprayed? Um, can you remember anything like it? No, it's unbelievable. And I mean, UEFA have to do something about it because that's the game is for the fans. That's what this game is about and paying so much, especially when you fly to like a neutral venue get all the way there, make a trip out of it, take your son to the game. And then for this to happen, um, I don't think you can ever have it at Stade de France again, or at least not for 20, 30 years, um, <laughs> um, which is unlikely to happen. But it was awful to see. Um, and it wasn't even hooliganism or anything like no. that that is normally the headlines around these games. It was just poor management um yeah really really bad yeah some of the footage to come out of it of you know these hordes of people getting pepper sprayed trying to enter the well yeah really really just trying to enter the stadium was remarkable i sort of saw it out of, out of context on a news bulletin and i thought what like what is this and it, it took a while to realize that they were trying to get into the champions league final i thought <laughs> that is just yeah as you said it's just astonishing really yeah, rocking up to a game where you paid so much money mm. and travelled so far. A lot of them bus, you know, from the UK all the way across. And then they basically shut down the gates, had one gate open. Liverpool and Real Madrid fans coming in together and they all behaved well. Um, it was mainly the Liverpool fans who were affected um, and it's just an absolute disaster what was what was going on. And they're really lucky it didn't result in like a crush or, or a stampede. There's a, from the first person accounts I've heard, people literally just trying to avoid getting crushed and killed or and it was the police who were instigating that they were pushing people forward into the barriers um just for a bit of uh context around this at kiev in the um champions league final in 2019 18 2018 um the thought the past real madrid liverpool game they couldn't be further from this experience from the fans who were talking about it they had like a, a fence barrier about 800 meters away from the ground you had to come up to that get through, get checked with your ticket there, and then you head into the ground. Rather than all thousands of people, anyone off the street who wants to walking right up to the gate and trying to squash and get through, um, just an absolute 
disaster and the French clearly had no idea what was what was coming. So unfortunately, yeah. it really marred a, a huge event. Um, I suppose just back to the football for a bit, disappointing end for Liverpool and for Sadio Mane, who's all but confirmed he'll be leaving the club at the end of the season. Um, is an interesting one for Mane because he won the Africa Cup of Nations with Senegal and came back a really invigorated, had a fantastic second half of the season by far Liverpool's best player, maybe apart from Van Dijk. Um, whereas Salah, who has the same contract as Mane, they were both due to expire at the end of next year, lost that final against Senegal with Egypt and came back, just looked shot and not himself at all. Um, so we're still waiting to see what happens with Salah, but rumours about Mane going to Bayern Munich to replace Lewandowski there. So I guess the big one is is where Robert Lewandowski ends up. And Hugo, I'm sure with the, the change of ownership at Chelsea, you wouldn't mind seeing him in the Royal Blue next year. No, not at all. Someone who can actually score goals would be nice. <laughs> Cop that, Lukaku. All right, <laughs> should, we, should we move on to the NBA? Yeah, how about it? Um, yeah, so we'll start off with the Warriors. Just too good in the end. I think after we spoke, they only need to win one game and they got it done pretty comfortably in the end, in all, all honesty. Um, did you guys catch that game? Do you think they're just going to be... The, the, well, do you think they're the favourites going into the finals? Definitely. They're definitely the favourites. Um, I, I didn't catch game five, but I thought we were willing a competitive series into existence. I don't, <laughs> I, they, were, they were certainly too much for the Mavs, um, outclass our our them across the board. As I said, I think it's, it's really just a, a testament to the, the championship calibre of that team and, and their coach that they've worked their way back here into finals favouritism. And um, yeah, look, I, I certainly think it's, it's theirs to lose. Yeah, yeah it's, it's exciting. I mean, like, as someone who supports Essendon, Liverpool, <laughs> Melbourne Stars, um, I haven't really ever... <laughs> Melbourne <haven't>, Stars. <laughs> yeah, just putting that in there. Haven't really had a, a dynasty team before. So this is their sixth final series in eight years. It's nice to um, support such a successful club, uh, sorry, franchise as they call them, mm. um, in the US. And yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what happens in the final series. I'd I'm not sure the Warriors want it to go deep. I mean, neither side does, but I feel like the longer this one drags on, the more likely it is for the Celtics to kind of figure them out and, and get over the top. Because if you can stop the Warriors' offense, you're a pretty good chance at, at being able to break through the defense. So I think that's going to be the key. Yeah, and the Celtics, the Celtics do have an excellent defense. Yeah, so let's let's get into the Celtics then. So on the Eastern side of the league, on the conference, the Eastern Conference, that is... Um, we had game seven. So we had a, a pretty average series the entire way through. A few good games, a few very exciting games, including game six, um, where the Heat looked down and out. Everyone had counted them, counted them out. They lost the last two games, one of which at home where they just got absolutely trounced. Um, and everyone thought, no, nah, it's over for the Heat. Celtics too good. Here come the Warriors. Draymond Green said they were going to face the Celtics, which he was right in the end, but not before the Heat came out in game six. Jimmy Butler put 47 points on the board. Um, it just too good. Like He'd take on any of the defen- defensive player of the year half time and could just score, found a way, get to the free throw line at the very least. Um, but then game seven, Heat started... Um, I think they missed the first six shots and then would put go on these runs to bring it back to five to seven points, but then the Celtics could could easily respond. So the lead hovered around 15 points the whole time. 
Um, and then towards the end, the heat just turned turned to switch really. Um, started playing a lot more defense, left Marcus Smart open to double team Jason Tatum. Marcus Smart was missing his threes, gave the Heat a chance to bring the score back. Um, and then Max Struess hits this crazy three-point shot on the run, two defenders in front of him, and it's back to a two-point game. They get another stop. And then Jimmy Butler has a break down the, down the court, pulls up for three and misses. Do you reckon um, he should have pulled up? Or yeah, so I was going to ask you two? guys, um, as a Heat fan, we live and die with Jimmy. I think you let him take it. If that's his, you know, he's got us to this stage. He, yeah, you live and die with with that man. Um, and the shots that he takes, you know, he, he scores and we win going through to a finals where I think we're a chance. You know, he misses um, and we don't. I think a, a more likely, you know, the best option is to not shoot that. He attacks. Mm. I think at the very least, he's getting two free throws to tie the game. Um, yeah, it was the wrong basketball play. And passes out. Yeah, it's the wrong basketball play, but you're not upset at Jimmy. You can't yeah. be. Um, do you guys think it was just too many wasted opportunities? I think Celtics won three games in Miami. If you want to if you want to play in NBA finals, you can't be losing that many at, at home. Um yeah, it was a weird home series. Like it, it felt like neither team could really capitalize on on their opportunities, and and as one team got a momentum swing, they'd sort of relinquish it. Um, I thought, you know, it was befitting of a seven game series. The two teams were very well matched in a in an odd way in the end. And game seven was it was a sort of a, a bit of a curly game of basketball, but in the end, it was a, a pretty thrilling finish. And um, yeah, I think full full credit to Jimmy Butler. I actually think he probably should have got the the conference MVP that they're now yeah. giving out for whatever reason. When they give out trophies and banners and MVPs for prelim finals, which <laughs> I, as a, <laughs> as an Aussie rules fan, I just find to be completely bizarre. Um, but it is they also a, called it the Larry Bird Trophy, not the LeBron James Trophy, which know, is just which absurd. Is LeBron dominated the East for ten plus years, fifteen it is years. So funny. I mean, anyway, the, he would have had a fifteen year stretch of winning that award. Pretty. That's much. what I was about to say. He would have won eight in a row. Yeah, and like that is that is not hyperbole at all. There's no question he would have won eight in a row. And it's amazing what you said about the Warriors before Hamish. They've been to what like seven of nine finals, which is incredible. Six of eight. Yeah. Six of eight. I think LeBron went to eight of nine by himself with three different teams. So anyway, this is not a LeBron James conversation as much <laughs> as I want to make it one, but I thought I'd throw that out there. What are your what are your thoughts on the, the NBA finals? Hamish, you excited for them? I'm excited for them. I've got four different Warriors jerseys that I've been rotating through the last few days. It was one degree in Canberra today, so unfortunately it was buried beneath several layers. Um, but I might even pull one of the um, the singlets over the top of the puffer jacket over the next next couple of weeks. Um, yeah, I, this coming Thursday uh, is the night before the biggest exam I have this semester. But it is also the start of the NBA finals, well, the following day for Every Australia. Um, and it is also the start of the English test summer. So uh, it's going to be hard for me to knuckle down and focus, but um, I'm pretty excited for it, I must say. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, it, it is every year. It's around exam time for us Aussies. Um, vivid memories of watching, you know, um, LeBron take on KD, you know, in a room at college and everyone studying at halftime. <laughs> um, 
and can't wait finals just such such a good atmosphere they're always good um and yeah can't wait uh, very very good um last one i see on on your little run sheet here Hugh. I, I was sort of interested to talk about this that jason tatum's texting kobe before game seven and also wearing the 24 yeah. arm sleeve i thought it was a pretty a pretty nice touch to be honest oh yeah um, but you're putting i guess you're sort of putting a lot of weight on your shoulders when you put that arm sleeve on um especially considering what Kobe was able to achieve in in big games like game sevens in in playoff matches, but I suppose he um you know he he had about twenty seven points I think twenty seven and ten mm-hmm. if I'm right so you know befitting of the homage yeah um d- definitely didn't pull off one of his great performances he he hit a few very clutch buckets there um, and they wouldn't have got over the line without him but it wasn't his you know this is me this is my game. Um, and I think, you know, whatever you take motivation from, and if you're taking motivation still from Kobe, then that's amazing. Shows the legacy he had on the game. Um, and yeah, good on him, I think. Yeah, I agree. Alrighty, let's move along to our uh, our respective moments of the week. I've got one that was a real heartwarmer. That was from the the St Kilda game on Sunday. I'm not sure if you guys saw this, but after the win against North Melbourne, they went down into the rooms and there were a series of um, Indigenous flags, both the Aboriginal and the Torres Strait flag, uh, lie, lying on the on the ground, and they all picked up, up the flags and draped them around their shoulders as they, as they sung the song and it was a really nice touch. I think it was something that um, was pretty spontaneous. Like it was, it was organized by the club, but the players didn't really know about it, but you know, it was made for some great visuals and, and Ben Long was interviewed after it by, by Ratten actually by the coach. Um, and he was pretty emotional about what that meant to him and, and the fellow indigenous players in that team of which there are about six or seven. I think um, the States have brought in um I think it's Jarman Impey's auntie or something uh, yeah. to, to, to work with the indigenous players. And it was, it was largely her initiative, but from all reports out of the clubs that she's been great in the relations she's been able to foster with the indigenous, uh, with the indigenous boys there. So I just thought that was a, a really neat moment and, and it made for some excellent visuals. Might have been yeah. Carl Amon's auntie. Sorry. Can't remember. Yes, Carl Amon's auntie. I think you're right. Um, yeah. Cause I just remember they were, they were linking him to St Kilda on that, on that basis. Right. Um, okay. Anyway, it's a very, very touching moment. My moment of the week was, to be honest, we probably should have gone with it off the top. Probably the biggest moment in sport this week <laughs> um, from an Australian perspective. And that was Jai Hindley becoming just the second Australian man to win a major tour. Um, this is in cycling. So he won the Giro d'Italia. Uh, he came second two years ago in a bit of a heartbreaking finish for him. He just fell apart in the, the time trial. He's improved a lot. He had a massive stage 20 when he overtook the, the leader and then on the 21st stage held him off. Um, big mental demons to overcome. His interview afterwards was pretty awesome. He was pretty overcome. He couldn't believe what he'd just accomplished. Um, cycling is still a sport in Australia. It's got a lot of room to grow. And, you know, we know what Cadell Evans did and the Tour de France. This really should be just as big of a deal. Um, it's amazing what he's, what he's champions and the cyclists he's had to overcome on this tour as well to, to get the win. So couldn't be more happy for him. He had a really tough time on the, 
the tour last year and now he's a real force to be reckoned with um and yeah just great to see some recognition for the cyclists who often travel well under the limelight in australian sports media um so anyway if you haven't seen the highlights go check out his interview pretty cool trophy that he he comes away with as well so congrats jai hindley yeah really well really well said there hamish couldn't couldn't agree (laughs) agree more um Yeah, awesome story. Uh, and definitely the Australian field has just gotten better and better over the last few years. More, much more representation on podiums um, across stages and tours and events. Um, and Australia is really, really competitive now in the European circuit. So um, hopefully a bit more coverage. I personally cannot do the overnight, several nights watching cycling, but I love to watch the highlights and um, and follow along as it you know, get a daily update. Um, my moment of the week once again comes from local cricket. Um, and this is the 31st once of again. May. <laughs> I think this is much more worthy though. It is the, the team that is building at Endeavour Hills Eagles Cricket Club for their Tuesday, Tuesday, I don't know what it is, their Twilight T20 competition. So uh, uh, they basically, they just signed Darwin Milan, current England test and former, as of last year, number one T20 batsman in the world. This is a sub-districts cricket side. They're, they're not playing Premier cricket. This is the subbies. They might play this is the Twilight. This is the beer league. This is the Twilight T20 league. <laughs> this is weirdly on. been stuff. alongside Darwin Milan they have former um, I think South African cricketer Fidel Edwards Shahab Malik current Sri Lankan player Suranga Lakmal current Sri Lankan test captain Dimuth Karuna Ratni former Sri Lankan World Cup winner and inventor of the dill scoop Tilakaratna Dilshan and the universe boss, boss, the greatest T20 player of all time, Chris Gale. This is no joke. Look on the Instagram or anywhere. Endeavor Hills Eagles have built this super side out of genuine, like not even like Tilakaratna Dilshad. All right, you know, test level player doesn't. He play lives anymore. in Australia now as well. I think. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But David Milan is a genuine superstar. Right, Chris Gale. <laughs> Chris Gale as well. Chris Gale just retired. Like, I, <laughs> but these are blokes that don't, don't get out of bed. They don't get out of bed for less than half a million dollars. No. Like, <laughs> like this, like we can't even get them to play in the BBL. Yet, exactly. Hills <laughs> Eagles. I don't know about <laughs> you guys. Them on contracts. I'm, I'm coming back to cricket this year. I'm signing up to whatever league these guys play in just <laughs> to get on the field and say, yeah, yeah, played against Gale and Milan on the weekend, roll the arm over. Tell you what you I want go to. Test cricketers bowling. No, I'm a bowler now, Hugo. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I would pay money. This would get me to the Big Bash. I'd pay money if we could get the Endeavour Hills Eagles into the Big Bash. <laughs> franchise this. <laughs> to franchise this team. Genuinely unbelievable. They also posted photos of their awards night, and I'm pretty sure all of their awards went to non-test players. So not too sure how that happens, but <laughs> um, I just yeah, that's that's shocking. They have two current test players. I'm probably going to open the batting for them. Um, and, one a test yeah. captain. Test Milan, captain. Milan will literally be playing in the T20 World Cup. 
like before this the oh, Endeavour yeah, Hills true. Twilight competition starts. He will go from playing for England at the MCG to playing for Endeavour Hills. <laughs> I also just can't get my head around it, Hugo. It's just crazy. One of the best finds we've ever had. Well done. <laughs> good. All right. Well, um, we'll finish off with our fan moment of the week. And well, this is on behalf of Andy and all of our UK cricket fans. So um, it was a quite a touching moment. Um, just a nice little tribute, which is the renaming of the Sky Cricket Box at Lords after Shane Warne. Um, there's going to be a couple of specials put out over the first couple of days of the first test um, between New Zealand and, and England, which starts on Thursday, um, about Warne, a couple of a, a special series about him and what he meant to, to England and, and to Australia as well. Um, now, on a slightly less positive note regarding this test match, they're facing up to 20,000 empty seats at Lords. For those of you who have had the um, the privilege of going to Lords, it's not exactly a 60,000 seat arena. It's effectively going to be empty because they are charging inordinate prices to go and watch the test this year. Um, I've seen people saying, yep, yeah, cost me 240 pounds to go father and son, like under age of 16, to watch the cricket. Um, can you imagine splashing 500 bucks to go watch what the test match hell? against New Zealand? Uh, it's absolutely like, like it's it's increased like by 400% or something ridiculous. Why? Now the, the, well, it's a good question why. And I think that's what the public wants to answer when they ask the ECB, what is going on? Like cricket's supposed to be an inclusive sport. You're literally just writing most people out from going to watch it live. How are you supposed to, like the impact this has on the whole game is just felt all throughout. They said, oh no, the reason people aren't coming is because of the Queen's Jubilee. And they, that's like their that's their statement. But instead of like addressing the question at all, they're like, "Oh no, there's nothing nothing to see here." Yeah, two hundred and forty pounds. That's no, nah, it's a bargain. Come and watch. Come and watch our terrible test team play. Yeah. Um. <laughs> anyway, I think it's just like the horrendous from whoever's setting these ticket prices, just pricing people straight out of it. Um. Unfortunately, it seems a similar thing is going to happen at the the World Cup, which I think you can understand paying a slightly higher price. This is the T Twenty World Cup in Australia. Um. But it's looking at the moment like tickets are going to be kind of in that 150 zone, which is just very expensive. Still only about half the price of the tickets to go this test. But yeah, it's just one of these things. Just don't price people out of, of going to watch their country play. Especially when you're trying to grow the sport. Yeah. And your team's non-competitive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. What is the time, lads? What? Give me, give me something, Ben. <laughs> Give it the time. It's exactly 10.44 p.m., which means that it is time for Bermuda's favourite podcasting segment. Hit all Endeavour Hills. Endeavour Hills. All right, let's get into it. Um, I don't think there'll be too much debate here, to be honest. Um, that Sam McClure came out yesterday um, after the Collingwood Carlton game and said that Mason Cox should never play VFL ever again. Hit or miss. And now, just to just to phrase this one, he's saying that he should only play AFL. Yes. Correct? Yeah. All right, I'll let you go, Ben. Um, I'm going to say it's a hit. I think that just on the 2018 prelim alone, (laughs) well, there are only so many players in the competition that can just win a game off their own boot. Um, 
I think saying it as a reaction to the game he played on the weekend is a bit much. I didn't I didn't watch the whole game. I I sorry he didn't get a vote in the coaches' votes. Um like he, he did play well from for the bits I saw and from what I've seen and read. But like yes, he is he's a very good footballer. When he's on, he can seriously take tear the game apart. And he's a sort of player that I think if nothing else, he, he needs a bit of continuity and to spend some time consistently at the AFL level. So, you know, if nothing but just a show of faith in him and, and his abilities and, and his potential, then I think he, he deserves at least the rest of the season in the AFL. Interesting. Um, it's a miss for me. I just, I mean, when Cox is out of form, he's such a liability for the pies in terms of just like there's no defensive pressure there. If he can't even compete in the marking contest, then what's he adding to the team? But he um, was blind then. He was blind then. And it is hard having <laughs> two detached corners. Yeah. Um, I, I can't really imagine what it would be like playing AFL blind. He is the Terminator now. Um, and I, you know, I, I agree. I'd like, if he plays like he did on the weekend, absolutely. I'm just not convinced he will be able to do that. The interesting thing will be if Dan McStay comes to the club um, yeah. at the end in the trade period. I've got a feeling from what my sources tell me, he's probably going to end up at, <laughs> Uh, Essendon or Collingwood seem to be the two clubs who are pretty keen on him at the moment. Um, probably depends what happens with Dugowie and, and others. Um, but yeah, if he comes into that forward line, I can't see them dropping my check. So um, it might be Cox who goes. Uh, I think as well, Cox, if he has some a chance to go into the ruck with Grundy out and just provide some support to Darcy Cameron, he does that role pretty well as well. Just gets him involved in the game. So yeah, I don't agree that he's a permanent AFL player and he is 31 now, I think. Um but yeah, it's nice that he's getting some recognition of his of his recent good form. Yeah, um, I think it's a miss. I think Carlton had Tom De Koning and then our next well, and Charlie Kerner, I guess, and then our next highest tallest player is Jack Silvani. Um, maybe even not Lewis Young. <laughs> there you go. Um, and you just can't gauge it off one game, and his, in, his inconsistency is just too. Like inconsistent. <laughs> yes, um, he's so, consistently yeah. inconsistent. <laughs> Hamish, what's your hit or miss? Yeah, mine's a cricketing one. It actually came courtesy of uh, something I heard Shane Watson mentioning on the Grey Cricketer podcast. Um, another good cast people should listen to. It was revolving around Tim David, who, for those of you who don't know, is one of the best ball strikers in world cricket at the moment. He's torn the IPL apart this year. Um, he's just started tearing England apart as well. Mm. He plays for the Hurricanes in the Big Bash. He's Singapore-born Australian. Now, the reason you probably don't recognize the name is that he has not bought into domestic cricket in Australia at all. Uh, he doesn't have a state team or anything like that. He doesn't play any red or white ball cricket domestically apart from for the Hurricanes. My question is, uh, should Tim David play, be able to play for Australia or be a, a selected for Australia despite not buying into domestic cricket? Because this is Shane Watson's opinion was no. Um, so I'm a yes. So I'm, I'm a hit that he should. I just, when I read this, I got some, some of his stats up. He, playing for the Mumbai Indians in the IPL, he had a strike rate of 200 and 16, as he said, tore it up and then played a couple of games for Lancashire, I believe, and is striking it at 220. Like he is dominant. I know that Matt Wade is a big fan. He's come out on multiple occasions and said that he should feature in Australia's middle order in the T20. He believes that it's just a matter of time. But I think 
the, whether they do or don't buy into the domestic cricket is sort of by the by because I mean, he plays big bash and, and if he's a T20 specialist, what do you really want from him? If he doesn't see himself as a white ball player, then there's no point in him joining a shield squad. He wants to fly around the world playing T20 cricket and honing his craft because it is a, a specific craft and it's not that advantageous for him getting bogged down in a shield season, especially if he's not going to be in the team. So I don't think that should enter into it. And on the back of those runs, if he stays in that kind of form, I don't see why he wouldn't be in the conversation. Absolutely. Um, agree. I think we want our best side out there. And if he's part of the best side, it doesn't matter if he doesn't want to play Sheffield Shield cricket. Um, and the Marsh Cup as well. I just don't think maybe you can't pick him for the, the ODI side. Um, and to be honest, I'm not sure who cares about ODI cricket right now because when's the next World Cup? Yeah. <laughs> um, what was Watto's yeah. argument? Well, so this is Watto's argument. And I'm on the fence. I probably agree with you guys, to be honest. But um, his view is that, especially, he's like, I understand if Tim David doesn't want to play red ball cricket. Like, the likes of Chris Lynn didn't do that. Yeah. Um, they tried and decided it wasn't for them. But he needs to at least buy into some kind of white ball cricket domestically that's state-based. So that's really just the, the Matador Cup um, because that's kind of what all the international players do. Um, it's a recognition of the like the importance of a strong domestic game in Australia. And I think the, the Watto's main argument was if we select Tim David, it sets a precedent for pretty much every other Australian cricketer to say, you don't need to play white ball cricket in Australia. You can go off and play all around the world in franchise cricket. And that oh. will ultimately leave Australian cricket in a, in a worse off position because we won't be able to develop our domestic players. Um, and you can imagine if like absolutely none of the, um, like the starting white ball team played in the domestic cup, it would be absolutely of no interest to, to anyone. Um, and yeah. it would affect the, the domestic game as well. So I can understand his argument um, and the principle behind it. Um, but I tend to agree with Hugo's very simple and logical point that you pick your best team and you yes. don't do what England stuffed around with, with Kevin Peterson and shoot yourself in the foot for four mm -hmm. years. I agree. Just on the precedent it sets, I think it sets a precedent for players that, only want to play T20. We're not talking about him being selected in the, the ODI team or the test team. I mean, he's bought into Australia's domestic T20 competition, which is the big bash, and he's investing in his own T20 skills by going around the world and playing T20 comps. If he wants to be a T20 specialist, then I see no issue with him playing in the, the Australian T20 team. It's a very different story if then you set a precedent that you bring him into the ODI team without him buying into the ODI, sorry, the domestic um, one-day competition. But I don't, yeah, I don't really subscribe to what, what I was saying there. Yeah, I think there's, oh, don't linger on it for too long, but there's a big case study you can look at for something like this, and that's the West Indies, um, where they've lost their entire test and ODI squad, not, maybe not ODI, but test team to these international cricket competitions. Um, but I think Australian domestic cricket is healthier and it's, you know, who knows, maybe it will cause a mass exodus from Sheffield cricket. Um, but no, I, I think it's fine. <laughs> the only thing I would finish on is that I think what I view is that Tim David's a serious player and he should be yeah. like a future member of the ODI team as well. Okay. Like he could be a right. serious number six and he worries if he doesn't buy into it and he just gets um, parachuted into the, the T20 team, 
um, then being picked off that for your one day form isn't going to be the best for him or for the precedent sets. Um, anyway, it's a very technical point, and I hope to see Tim David in October. Sorry, Amber <laughs> Finch, but your form's not good. Form, so get Tim David at the top of the order. I think it's three yeses on that one. All right, I'm going to try not to blow a top here because I think this is ridiculous and I bit my tongue off the top, but I'm ready to go now. <laughs> I just saw on the, the pre-release teams or it's been leaked to the media that Fife's going to come back this weekend through the waffle. <laughs> how, how many two-time Brownlow medalists are there just floating around in this competition that you can bring them back through the waffle, especially Frio's got a big game this weekend. I, I don't understand it. I think it's ridiculous and I think it's an insult to the player that Fife is, hit or miss. I I I I think it's a hit that he's too good to come back through the waffle, but I don't think it I think it's a miss that it's an insult to him. Um I think it the idea, like there's two there's two pretty found reasons, sound reasons, sorry, behind it. Um the first being that like for Fife himself, he really hasn't played consistent footy for two and a half years. And trying to get his body right is the number one important thing for Frio. So potentially he's actually wouldn't be able to play AFL this week anyway. And if he's in that position, then why not give him a game in the VFL to get some minutes up just to get a little bit of match fitness and harden up that body a little bit. Um, And the other reason is it just says to the the playing group, like the same rules apply to to everyone. Um, If you're not quite ready to go, then have a game in the waffle and we'll, we'll bring you back. Um, Despite those reasons, I do agree with the principle that if you won two Brownlow medals, um, you probably don't need to to go to the waffle. Um, so, yeah, I agree with that the overall point, but I probably don't feel quite as strongly as, as Ben does on this one. I just think, uh, I don't know, just something about Nat Five just putting on the the boots and pulling up the socks to go out and play in the waffle is just like a funny thought. Like it just doesn't it just doesn't sit with me. It was the same thing we were sort of touching on with Dustin Martin when he comes back, does he come through the toes? Is the idea that you pull up to the center bounce um, if you're a sort of semi-pro footballer and you look next to you and you're playing on Dusty Martin on that five. Like, it's just not, it's not right. He is a headline act and he, he should be playing on the biggest stage. Yeah, I agree with both of you. Not too much more to add. Shall we move on to uh, on this day, on this week, this week? which is the 31st of May, 1742. So I believe this is our, our oldest one yet. And that is the first indoor swimming pool opens in Goodman's Field, London. Hamish, I notice you've put something down here. Small comment to make. Yeah, I think this is a fascinating one we can <laughs> delve into. Potentially even more interesting than the hail that, that fell in Burlington Maybe. back in 1923. So. Um, in terms of the 1742 opening of the pool in, in Goodman's Field, London, beforehand there were baths. We know this before before 1742, um, there were baths, and baths are usually found indoors for the for the most part. So, I guess for me, like at what stage does a bath become a pool? Uh, if you have a, a reasonably large bath, you can fit a couple of people in there. Maybe have a little paddle around. Um, how big does a bath? have to be before it's given pool status or is it something else that, that qualifies as actually for swimming rather than bathing purposes or something? I think it's water temperature and depth is going to play into it as well. And whether you enter the, the body of water and then assume a, a sedentary position or, or whether it 
it is or, or whether movement is is encouraged are probably the KPIs that I'd be looking for. But yeah, you, know, you raise some really, really good points. Yeah, look, it's a tricky one here. I think I think it's the intention as well behind it. Um, so are you building this for for leisure or for activity? Um, I think we could do a deep dive into this pool in gold Literally. field and work out if it is actually a swimming pool. I mean, when I found the first saw this, I got huge flashbacks to primary school learning to swim and then swimming squads, the the smell of the pool of chlorine, the feeling of chlorine, and then just being tired all morning from getting up at, I don't know, what was it, six o'clock or something, probably before then. Um, thanks, <laughs> mum and dad. <laughs> yeah, look, the, the interesting one is the Roman baths for me in Bath. Um, Back to in it. That part. Uh, yep. Yeah, and then just in that part of that part of the UK, like these are big baths that were that were built for people to come to and to to bathe in. Um, maybe maybe it's these days because you do get pools now where it's purely leisure pools. You know, you have a float around. So you, you, you if you got to go to the swimming pool, like the the lap pool, if you want to actually swim laps, maybe it's lifeguards. Maybe that's what distinguishes it these days between pools and and baths um anyway it's probably one we will leave for enough the episode to dive into a little bit more but if you like this kind of content don't be afraid to reach out and and let us know we'll move on to some upcoming events (laughs) so we've got the annual bath classic coming up no i'm kidding Um, no we'll start with the nba finals so that starts on friday the 3rd of june then we go game two on the 6th game three on the the 9th game four on the 11th and then from there on we have the 14th the 17th and if required a game seven um would be on sorry uh screen's just gone uh the 20th um so that's a full you know two weeks of nba finals action which i can't wait for in the cricket (laughs) we've got the international men's summer starting in england so for australians that starts at 8 p.m on the 2nd of june um that's england versus new zealand first test and then the second test is on the 10th um they also have a series upcoming against the netherlands um which is exciting after the dutch faced new zealand earlier um so the dutch are getting around which is good to see um and then in the f1 we have a week off um before we head to azerbaijan um hamish what about the soccer a few international games yeah it's just about wrapped up the soccer season until we we look forward to the the final the guitar world cup qualifiers in a week or two um the the big one is finalissima as it's known which is the winner of the european championship taking on the winner of the south american championship and that's italy versus argentina uh, it's being held at, at wembley on thursday morning so you can get up and watch um, Messi play against the uh, the likes of Barati and Jorginho if you'd like to. The other big thing in the soccer world is the summer transfer window opening up on June 10. So we'll probably have another episode previewing that a little bit more. But the likes of Lewandowski and and Mane, um, where are they going to end up? It's it's really something that everyone's keeping their eye on. How are the soccer is looking? Sorry. Ah, uh, yeah, we're not looking so good. So, so what's the deal? Um, the deal is that next Wednesday, the 8th of June at 4 a.m., we are playing at the United Arab of Emirates, and that is uh, like a single playoff game. And the winner of that will then go through to face, I believe it's Peru, who have made it through from uh, the, the South American League. So we've got towed up by both these teams last time we played them. So 
Um, yeah, we've got a lot of improvement needs to be made. And Tom Rogic actually just pulled out of the Socceroos uh, squad, good. which isn't ideal. Um, so, yeah, not not the not promising signs, but, hey, we'll give them the best shot. Uh, very good. All right, well, in the in the golfing world, we've got the Memorial Tournament coming up over at Jack Nicholas's place, Muirfield Village. Always a good tournament to watch, a really tough test. Uh, Rory McIlroy and John Rahm are, are the favourites for that week, so should be good viewing for for golf fans and obviously in the footy big big week by affected week but friday night's pro arguably the pick of the clashes with, with the bulldogs taking on the cats we've then got crows west coast probably missed that one gold coast north melbourne probably missed that one melbourne sydney um first v seventh i actually quite like the look of that at the g and then on sunday we got hawks pies that's got big top top eight ramifications and then the the weekend finishes with a blockbuster as you said graveyard shift 520 in perth Fremantle taking on the lions that will be a must-see tv i know that um Freo are hot favorites i'm not sure they should be anyway that's a big one now do we have some bold predictions to, to finish off with gentlemen yeah i can start us off here i have a depressing bold prediction uh, I think Carlton will miss out in finals. There we go. Ooh, clip that. <laughs> That's a bit of a, a change from last week. You go when you're saying that beat Melbourne. Um, There's a Mystic Carlton supporter. <laughs> yeah. One loss and the, the lid is back on. Can no, you it's the weeding injury. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a bit of carry on, I reckon. It's an AC joint. It's, I mean, he'll be back. Six weeks, yeah. No, nah, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, um, my I, bold I call, I alluded to it earlier on, still football related. I've got Gold Coast coming into the finals this year. Wow. I believe for the one. first time in the club's history. Is that Who right? Who falls out? Yeah. Yeah. Who falls out? Good question. Um, the bottom of the eight of the dogs at the dogs. moment. Uh, no, I'm going with my, my guide of percentage who has the lowest percentage of the Carlton. Club. Oh no, <laughs> it's Carlton. There you go. Hugo, yeah, our yeah. bold predictions align. <laughs> um, all right. I'll make a cricketing bowl prediction. Then I reckon that Devin Conway will not be dismissed in the first test between England and New Zealand. They just couldn't get like him out that. last year. And I don't reckon they'll be able to get him out this year. Huge. Very good. All right. I think that's everything, gentlemen. Good wrap. Very good. Thank you very much to the uh, to the loyal listeners for, for sticking it through as uh, we've worked our way through a, another cracking week in sport. Be sure to, to join us next week as we give you uh, all the, the big tips and, and bold predictions and recaps from another huge week in sport. Obviously, we've got the French Open drawing to a close, another big week in footy, NBA playoffs starting. So the sports season is just the gift that, that keeps on giving and we will keep on giving it to you. So Take care, everyone. Hugo, Hamish, thank you very much.